Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 108 of Midweek Metagame. I'm HaramTG, only joined by one of my regular co-hosts this week, Gabriel Nassif. Hey, what's up, everyone? And we're also joined by the Magic Legend and uh, current MPL member, Kai Buddha. How are you doing, man? Pretty good, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's an honor. I think um, the listeners should know we averaged three Pro Tour wins between us. So it's pretty sick to be joined by two legends and uh, I guess just a broke student magic grinder or whatever. You know, I always see comments, actually. People are now starting to comment like, oh, it's nice to see Reed Duke and Gab Nassif joined by a random kid and stuff like that. So, you know, I'll take it with pride. I appreciate it. But we're not here to talk about me today. We're here to talk with Kai about the most recent Innistrad Championship. Um, obviously, that is the most recent big esports event that happened over this previous weekend. So a lot of people want to hear what happened in both Kai and Gab's event and what decks they played, etc. So we're going to be getting to a lot of that, as well as we also have played a bit of Modern between us. Uh, I don't think, Kai, you've played any Modern, but we will talk a bit about that towards the end of the episode. But before we get into things, as always, the podcast is sponsored by Card Market. So thank you to them. For those who don't know what it is, it's a marketplace online to buy anything card game related. It doesn't have to be Magic the Gathering. You can buy decks, boxes, singles, accessories. You can sell on there. Go check them out. They're amazing. Um, cardmarket.com or cardmarket.eu. And if you personally would like to support the podcast, we do have a Patreon. Patreon.com slash Midweek Medigan. Best of places to support us, but no pressure to do so. Anyways, intro done. Let's be real, Kai. First time on the cast. We're very happy to have you here. How did your Innistar tra- Championship go? Oh, it started great, and then it crashed and burned. Uh, at some point, I was A2, and like... For the first two thirds of the tournament, I was generally within range of top eight, and then I went one four in the last five rounds. So yeah. finished nine six, got an extra five hundred dollars on tiebreaker. Still a pretty good tournament overall. Can't complain. That's sweet. Um, what deck did you play? Well, Gab and we played the same stuff. We played the um, Is it Turns in standard, and then a Raptor's Arcanist deck in uh, in historic, which I mean. Like we, I don't think we were super excited with these decks, but they turned out to be pretty good. Like I think we, we had the highest. Like I mean, Is Turns had the highest win rate in standard, and our Arcanist deck had the highest win rate in historic, which is probably a little bit misleading because, I mean, I don't know. There, there were certain people playing Rakdos Arcanist in the in this statistic, and I don't. Is that all us? Was there anyone else? Like I, I think that might have been all us or like one or two others. And I mean, if you just give a deck to like. Reduke, Yui Jensen, Shahar Shenhar, Gabriel, LSV, like all these people. I mean, like obviously our our goal will never be 50%, right? Like we should be higher than that, hopefully. So I, yeah, like it, it, 60% is a good win rate, but it's, pro, it's, it's not amazing. But I mean, it was definitely not a bad deck to play. Um, what really punished us a little bit was uh, there was a big Japanese team which did really well, and they played Green Black Food, which I mean it's definitely one of the better historic decks, but I mean it also has weak matchups, but it has one insanely great matchup, and that happens to be Raktos Arcanist. So that was a little bit unfortunate. I think okay. I was beating I was beating it on the ladder. Yeah. Well, that, I, okay. I, I, I hate the ladder. Like ladder is just no testing for me. It's just the results are completely random. But at some point in the tournament, I think Reed was something like 7-0 and against non-Japanese people, and he was 0-5 against Japanese players. Two of my three historic losses were that black-green uh, food deck, 
so yeah, like it it was a little bit unfortunate that our deck matched up really badly against the one of the other big teams decks. But I mean that that's just something that happens. In in general, this was a difficult event for me to prepare for because I, I don't play that much to be honest. Like I play a lot the two weeks before the tournaments. I take like days of work and, and, and play, but I don't really play much before that. So I don't know the formats very well. And both these formats were new. There was very little data available. Like we were basically working on new formats, which like that's really good for a team like ours. If everyone takes like two weeks off and we have like a testing house and we sit down and play hundreds of games and prepare, like then we have a huge edge over the field. But a lot of the people in our team didn't play much at all. And at that point, we kind of rely on having like MTG melee tournaments and like just tournament data. And then with our experience, predict what people are playing and what is good against against that stuff. And that really didn't work this time because there were just no tournaments in these formats. And that made it pretty difficult. Yeah, for sure. I had a similar turn to Kai's. I, went, I ended up nine and six and I was... Doing kind of okay. I had a couple points in the tournament. I was four and one on day one, but lost the last couple of ones. And then I started five and zero on day two. Was nine and three. Lost a tough one to White Weenie, and then totally threw away the last two rounds in the Is It Mirror. And I felt pretty good a few days before the tournament after we submitted the deck list. But then I think it was Kai and I. We played some matches of Ragdos against Humans when we saw Humans was the most played deck. And that matchup looked kind of bad in our testing. We were struggling, and I was a little upset going into the tournament and worried. But somehow we did well in the tournament against humans. Which sound? I think we were just lucky. I mean, yeah, we played like ten matches maybe or something between Gabriel, Jan Merkel, and me. And like, so on paper you have the stack with like four shocks, three fatal push, Arcanist. We even like Reed pushed us to have two witches' vengeance in the sideboard. It wasn't even targeted at humans, but like there was a chance that people would play Merfolk, there was a chance that people would play goblins, and it just felt like a really powerful sideboard card. So uh, we thought we were prepared, but after playing these games, I mean, if they go first and go turn one Esper Sentinel into turn two Salia, and you have these eight one mana discard spells that suddenly just don't do anything at all anymore, it just played out a lot worse than we would think. I, yeah. It did feel like it helped that people sideboarded badly against us. Like, for example, when Christian Hauk was playing against Yui, even on the play for game three, he only had three Esper Sentinel and one Salia in his deck, which sounds completely crazy to me. Like, maybe he knows more than I do, but like, those are the cards I don't want to see. And yeah. he was just boarding them out. I don't know if he did the same thing against me the round after. I didn't really look at the video from that, but I mean, he that. Yeah, he was he was adjusting. He had more Sentinels and more Thalia against you. And I think on the draw, it was okay not to have them all because they, they do get all worse against when you get to hit them with discard spells or when you go turn one Sentinel and they go turn to, you know, one mana spell, you can pay to one, etc. So it's not as bad. The the one other sideboarding mistake I think people were doing, I think he, he did it and people I played in tournament did it was bring in Portable Hole against our four Colligans Command deck. I had four Colligans Command after sideboard. I don't know if you had three or four. I only had the one Witch's Vengeance, though. Uh, I wish I had had more. I mean, it worked out for me. I, I beat the the one Goblins deck I played against, and I beat the Humans deck I played against, too. But that card's always been so strong and historic and almost a little frustrating to have that card in the format because 
you have decks like Spirits Company. A, a lot of the tribal decks, honestly, would be so much better if Witch's Vengeance wasn't a card. You still have like Crippling Fear, maybe other other cards, but the the the, the how cheap it is and and what it does and. I, I don't know about that. Like, Witch's Vengeance sees so little play. I, I don't think it's very oppressive, really. Like, I think we were probably the only ones that had it in the tournament. Yeah, maybe for this um, tournament, it's a little different. But in, in the past, I know that testing for Historic in the past, I've been like, man, that deck would be really good if Witch's Vengeance was on a card. Yeah, but because... isn't, isn't that good? Like, for example, if Goblins suddenly turned out to be super powerful, people would have three or four Witch's Vengeance, and it wouldn't be that much of a problem. Like, I kind of like if these cyber cards exist. Like, if humans is suddenly super oppressive to the format, people would just run more of this. Yeah. Like, I, I, I don't think that's a problem, necessarily. Yeah, but you don't want to tor- turn it into old modern where it was just, oh, who draws there? If you if you ha- if you brought the right sideboard card for the specific weekend and who draws there two or three good sideboard cards, and that's what the matches comes down to. But Yeah, I know what you talk about, but I think that's... In the long run, that's probably unavoidable because these old formats, they're always super wide. There's so many decks. And like, given that you have such a gigantic card pool, single sideboard cards are always so powerful. And like, if you draw the, like, you never have space to bring like four or five sideboard cards against any specific deck, unless it's like a deck that you expect to be super popular. But then if you have like one or two of these silver bullets and you draw them, you're super far ahead. Yeah. I think, I mean, that's in, in these old giant card pool formats, it's just not avoidable. I don't think. Yeah, the decks become too powerful, and there's too many, too many great linear synergies. Yeah, it's possible. I, I wanted to know what is it like for you testing for these tournaments, because I know for me, I play a lot of Magic, and sometimes testing for these tournaments doesn't feel always super fun. It feels like almost like a, a chore, because you said the ladder is not very good testing, so really the the reliable data is the matches we play between us. I feel like one one match played internally might be worth, you know, between five and ten matches you might play on the ladder. Um, and, you know, I do enjoy when usually on the last weekend where the whole team's on and we're on Discord and there's that kind of energy. And it was nice during the tournament, actually, we were hanging out in the Discord. We, I don't know why we didn't do that every time, but we, we did it this time, and it was fun. Like, after, after every round, people would come in the Discord chat and, and hang out. And I want to know, if, is it fun for you to prepare for these tournaments? Do you look forward to it, or do you kind of go through the motions? Does it depend? Uh, so and so. I mean, I'm too competitive. Like, I don't want to be completely unprepared. So, like, I mean, I want to take these days off. I want to play more Magic. I don't play that much Magic overall. So when these tournaments come closer, like I kind of want to get up there, but like, I mean, it, it depends. Like in general, I like it. I mean, the problem was this time there was hardly anyone available. Like I took a couple of days off under the week, and I was basically only playing against Jan, I think. Yeah. Which made it a little bit worse, but I mean, in general, yeah, no, I mean, I don't mind that. Yeah, there's definitely. A... Sorry, go ahead. Especially if I only do some little playtesting, like. If I was playing mono green against Izzet for like the 15th match, I would surely get bored. But I mean, we didn't really get to that point. So yeah, yeah, there was a lack of motivation. I've I've struggled a bit, even for worlds. Honestly, I didn't put in as much work as I would have or could have. And this one, I was trying to play historic on the ladder. I think it was tough. Historic was a little overwhelming. There was a ton of decks to try out. 
and some of the good decks were really slow to play test, whether it's the control decks or the food decks. And I just tried 10 different decks maybe on on stream and none of them seemed that great. I went on a run with Zorius Auras. I went like on a 10-0 run, but I think I ended up playing one match in testing, one or two matches in testing against John Food and lost them both and decided you know, to just not sink in more time in, in that deck because there was, there was other things to to try out or test. So that was tough, but I think it's really good for our team that every most of our team did well in this tournament, meaning a lot of us got at least a nine and six records, which is huge for Worlds this year because the way Worlds work is that you either need to top six one of the free championships. So... The Innistrad one was the first one. There's two more. You can still qualify for the two more. So technically, if you're a good player and you like playing competitive and you play a bit on the ladder or PTQs on Magic Online, you can still technically be the next world championship. You need to qualify for one of these championships, top six, and that locks it up. So that's 18 slots. And then you've got 13 slots that go to rivals, MPLs, and challengers. So five for MPL and rivals and eight for everyone else. And that's whoever gets the most points in these tournaments, meaning nine and six gets you nine points. So rough math is that if you get to maybe 27, 28 points total, you'll qualify for Worlds. And I think that's good that a lot of us are still in the running and maybe that'll motivate us. We have Worlds now to to focus on, you know, as a goal. And that can be a little more hope for maybe the 2023 competitive season that... You know, a, a few a few months ago, we weren't even sure if there were going to be a world championship ever again, let alone next year. So, so I'm not that good. convinced anymore that triple nine six is actually enough to qualify. Like I was thinking about this, it probably doesn't make any sense. Like first of all, if you're a challenger and you qualify for the first or second of these championships, yeah, and you go ten five to qualify for the next one or better, I think you're in a super good spot to qualify for worlds, which is pretty nice. Yeah. It's a bit sad if you only qualify for the third one because then you don't get the 10 wins and get to the next one. But like if you're playing in two or even three of them, it's going to be pretty difficult for anyone to have more points without actually making top six. Yeah. I so guess like I was I, talking for MPL and Rivals, yes, but you're but, right that for the eight slots that go to challengers, which is basically people who are not MPL or Rivals. But... When the for the MPL arrivals, I wasn't really thinking like when I I was one of the guys that thought that like like maybe if you go nine six nine six nine six you qualify, but I don't think that's the case anymore because there's only five slots and the six people that make top eight but don't qualify and and go O two in this top eight bracket, they're almost automatically going to have more points than that. Yeah, because, there's that, but I think someone did the math. I think it was not did the math. But I think. Someone in my chat the other day went and looked back at last season and they looked at the points people got and they said that actually it was around 26 or 27 if you like take last season's stat for. So uh, I didn't do it myself, but and there's going to be some variance, right? But I mean, Hulk already has 17 points now after yeah, this but, one event. Yeah, but not every time the, the person who gets seven or eight is going to be like you know, an MPL or rivals, right? True. It's maybe like two or three of these are going to be out of six. And then anyways, let's, I guess, let's not talk about that forever. But yeah. I, um, but yeah, like it adds motivation for the other tournaments, obviously. Yeah. yeah. 
So, so yeah, you, you, how did, how did you feel going into the tournament with these decks you thought like good average? I mean, for standard is it turns like we hardly invented the wheel there. Like, yeah. I mean, you had to expect that we can't be a big favorite. Like our hope was a little bit that people were just playing, uh, like the dragons list, which I think is an underdog. I think our is deck was in general, pretty good. I did like the go blanks a lot in the sideboard. We obviously, we should have had the four Galvanic iteration. I still think it's crazy that people didn't have, like some people were like, oh yeah, uh, our is deck is so good for the mirror. We added more card draw and then they cut the fourth uh, expressive iteration, which is, yeah. I mean, I, I don't understand. Like yeah, I'm that was just, funny, that was who PV. PV and like, yeah, like I, it's just utterly confusing to me, but like, like yeah. these guys had one more card draw spell than us, which I mean, obviously it's nice in the mirror, but like, um, like I think the bigger deal was that they had to force give and iteration, which that that was a mistake on our part. But I mean, how much are they going to gain in the mirror from that? Like a yeah. percent, maybe or something. I mean, it's not it's not that much. Yeah, that card that card is serviceable against creature decks and screen decks too. I I got paired against Sifka. That was rough. Though. He had four iterations and two deluge on top of the windfalls, as well as uh, two tests of talent main deck. And yeah, that that game one fell a little. Rough. Yeah, I mean, Stan's approach to deck building is to take a good control or combo deck, cut four anti-creature cards, and put in counter spells and uh, and and stuff for the mirror. I mean, yeah. which honestly, maybe that's like how it's supposed to be because, like, these aggro decks are so good these days that in game one you generally have to be on the play anyway or hope that they just stumble by themselves. So maybe that's a good approach. But like, like the entire last rival season. Uh, Stan was playing um, Sultai, the Sultai Ultimatum deck, and like you never wanted to play against him in a mirror match. Like th these guys were prepared for the mirror match. You were yeah. not, you were not winning the mirror match unless you were super lucky. But then if you played with creatures against them, like I beat him once or twice, I think, and I was just playing Gruul and like once Gruul with counter spells, and I mean he couldn't beat that because he didn't have anything. Like he had like yeah. two Shadows Verdict in his 18 card deck or something, and yeah, good luck. It's also the, the Wafo Tapa approach, just more card draw, more counter spells. Yeah, but Wafo's like he likes to cut cheap stuff and then add six mana cards. <laughs> that, that that's like the next level of that approach. But yeah, it's it's pretty similar. Yeah. Did did but you yeah. watch any of it, Harry, this weekend? Um I I did, yeah, I did. I enjoyed myself. What, uh, what, what did you what like just... about it? What did I like about it? Um, honestly, I actually think decks. Historic is quite entertaining to watch. But, um, yeah, no, all I'm wondering is, you know, you guys are talking about how you really like your deck choice. If you were in the top eight, would you feel confident that you could do well in it? Because we've got four different archetypes. Three, is it Phoenix? Three, Gargari food, creativity in, in humans. Is that no. Are these decks that you think you're all good against? No. <laughs> I mean, Gary Food is probably a 20% matchup for our tennis deck, I would think. Maybe it's not as bad, but that's what it felt like, at least in the tournament. Uh, is it Phoenix is definitely favorite. Like, that's a good matchup for us. But um, creativity is probably pretty even. Maybe we're a small favorite. And humans, I think we're a small underdog. So, yeah. Like, when we saw that this Japanese team was doing well with the green-black food deck, I mean, that, that was obviously not great for us. Uh, if we wanted to win the tournament. Yeah. But yeah, historic I... is like a good format. It's a very watchable format. Standard. 
I mean, standard is probably an okay format looking at like the win rates and like, I mean, obviously there's too much is it, but it's not like super oppressive or anything. I mean, people still showed up with like oars of control. I mean, I don't know why people would do that, but like people still don't think that is it is like super dominant or anything. But like these games are just not fun to watch. I mean, like if you watch Mono White against Is It, I mean, yeah, sure. Like someone curves out or he doesn't curve out, and then someone wins. And like the Is It Mirror, you just sit there, play lands, nothing happens. Eventually, someone forks some spells and probably wins. Like, yeah, it's just not very watchable. But Historic is just really. I mean, for Historic is a good format, and it's actually a watchable format. Like I know that Kevin Prince, for example, he co-streamed only the Historic rounds. And then turned the stream off when standard happened because, well, yeah. Uh, yeah, I actually enjoyed my standard rounds a lot. And I know in testing, people were saying that the Is It Mirror matches were really dumb. And some of the day, the games feel kind of hopeless, but the close Is It games are actually really sweet. I played some absurd Is It games, honestly. And it's possible the games were close because either. Either I was messing up or maybe, you know, we were both making mistakes and that maybe if people played a matchup well, the games are way more one-sided. But I played some of my best games in the of the tournament in standard in the Is It Mirror. And I kind of enjoyed it, the tension of the Is It against the creature decks trying to survive. You know, it's just always, uh, you know, not always close, but sometimes and... I think standard is in fine place. I think people who complain about standard, they, they they have you know some points, and one of the points is that it's a lot of the same decks for a long time. You know, it's kind of like the the last standard where we had basically rogues and Saltai ultimatum and few other decks kind of be the same deck for almost two years, and maybe it has to do with COVID too, the fact that we're just playing online and playing the same formats. But I think standard is an okay place right now. I think people just have unrealistic expectations of what else do they want? Like three or four viable decks, kind of a rock, paper, scissor meta. And, you know, you were talking about adjustments. You can make your main deck to be better against aggro or control, depending on the meta you expect. That's that's what standard is, you know. No, 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 no. I mean, like, I, mean I said that there's like, in, I think there's enough diversity in standard. I mean, at least, especially on the ladder, you it's not 50% is it but like i think the games just from a watching point of view is just boring like it's two monocolored aggro decks that only curve out and don't really have anything interesting going yeah. and then you have a deck that only plays lands and then just wins with like a two or three card combo right? yeah i, I don't know no, it's... that that's fair and i was that wasn't targeted at you it was just more in general you know i feel like there's just so much complaining and negativity in general and in magic know social media that trying to you know maybe kind of um counterbalance out of it and give a more positive outlook and historically i agree the the top eight i was worried there was a lot of green black food in the top eight but they did a good job you know we did get a couple of green black food mirror matches toward the end of the the lower bracket but the games were nuts the gertson phoenix games were so closed uh the Hawk against Keeney match was was really, really close as well. So so many so many good games, so many close games. And uh, you know, congrats to Yuki Chikawa. He won the tournament. He played so so well, I thought, 
the games I I got to watch anyways in top eight, the the games in the finals, even in the games where he ended up losing and where the choice he made cost him the game, I thought he still had made the right choice. You know, so, with the information he had and the spot he was in, like the one game where he he ends up. You know, going down to one in, instead of playing around Pillar of Flames, and it turns out Simon had scried a, a Pillar of Flames to the top. Um, and there was a game, I think, before that, or two games before that, where I feel like he could have tapped out and kind of given up and be like, oh, well, if Simon has it, I, I die. And he, he actually played in a way that even if Simon had it, he got to live a few more turns. I think he still ended up losing that game eventually, but that was also really well played. And it was, it's so. So inspiring, honestly. Every time there's a big tournament, or not every time, but a lot of the time, that the person who ends up winning the tournament is someone who's playing really well, and you can tell they really know their deck inside out, and they're playing it really well. And it's just, to me anyway, it's inspiring. It makes you want to try harder for the next one. Unfortunately, by the time the next one comes around, I kind of lost that feeling sometimes, and I don't always have the motivation, but... It was really cool to watch. Yeah, like these top four matches. I mean, these these, these food mirrors. I mean, uh, uh, that's not for me at least. Um, yeah. At, at least the second match, like the first food mirror, like the was was that the the match for fourth place? That was so slow. I mean, that was just yeah. That was just something else. Then the the lower bracket final. That was fine. That was way faster. In the final, I actually thought in the match that Simon won match one. I think I yeah. So, somehow it just looked wrong with what Yuki was doing there some uh, in at least one of the games. Well, at, at least I would have always done something different. I don't know. I mean, obviously okay. that doesn't really mean anything because yeah. he plays the deck pretty well. But at least in one of the games in match two, he played super well. It was like for a long time, Simon looked like he was pretty far ahead. And uh, somehow he, he just, I mean, he just, he was digging for the black black x enchantment and i mean every turn he just did exactly what he had to stay alive and yeah. then barely found it so yeah that, that was that was really good and then i, I didn't watch the third match so it was uh, too late yeah, but, yeah. No, am i am i right in that they're releasing like are they unbanning omnath in historic and changing the casting cost and stuff like that yeah i guess we didn't talk about alchemy at all last week right it hadn't been no, announced yeah. yet or just announced yeah I guess we can talk about that. Alchemy is the new rebalance standard format, meaning they're adding cards and they're rebalancing cards that are a bit too good for standard. So you'll still have standard and alchemy, but it's possible standard kind of dies out on arena anyways, and maybe just in general, because I don't think standard's super popular in, in paper eater. So for instance, out of the rebalance cards, I think there's four. There's chariot that only makes one cat instead of two. There's Goldspan Dragon that doesn't give you a treasure when you target it, only gives you a treasure when you attack. So Connery protects itself from removal if you have a negate. There's Epiphany that costs seven, even as foretell, and you only get the tokens if you foretold the Epiphany. So you can cast it for seven, but you don't get the token, and you can foretell it, but then you still have to pay seven to get the tokens. And the last one, Thalia's or Luminarch Aspirant, where you get the token at end of turn, not at combat. Unfortunately, that nerf carries on to Historic, so some people were a bit disappointed that Luminarch Aspirant got nerfed for Historic, and that's kind of a shame. And they're 
unban they're putting back Omnef in standard, but super super nerf. They added a colorless to the mana cost and it scries one instead of drawing, which yeah, sounds kind of unplayable to me. Yeah, I'm just looking at it and like this. I mean, maybe it's okay for standard, but I probably not. I mean, it's just I feel like either nerf might have been enough. Yeah, yeah. Like get get him up to five or remove the draw card. Yeah. So it's possible they just didn't have a ton of time to test and they just played it safe. Um, there's yeah, also, I mean, this is yeah. very safe, I think. <laughs> yeah, there, there's also a ton of new cards and there's one with a, a, a wall of text and people were kind of memeing about it on Twitter or complaining about it. And uh, I don't know, I, I, I'm not gonna lie, I haven't read all the cards. It's the, the grizzled something, grizzled Hunmaster. Kind of makes me laugh, it's like, Magic players literally can memorize a new set in like two days of playing, and then they're like, "Oh God, one card was a little text. Kill me not, now. What, no, no, what no, am no, I no, gonna no, do?" No. Look, look, look! It's not just one card. Like, there's so, so many cards <clears throat> where you actually have to like Google other effects to understand roughly what they are doing. Like all these like these um, these dungeons or whatever, and like I mean this <laughs> this guy. I mean, I think he's very good, but like. It's just a lot of text. I mean, uh, if anyone should, we should be worried for maybe more casual players, uh, like competitive players complaining about, like, come on, there's... there's no, there's... I mean, that is a very, right? Like, that's what's, what Spurling and others were saying. Like, obviously, for people that play in these tournaments and play Magic 20 hours per week or something, it's not going to be a big deal. I guess I, I do agree that they should keep it a bit simple because not everyone has infinite time and even people who have infinite time, there's just so many formats, so many cards. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not saying, you know, they're wrong. I just... Uh, I mean, that's going to be the big worry with alchemy, right? Like if someone goes to play Friday Night Magic and then comes to Arena and suddenly the cards do different stuff. Yeah. And that's just, I mean, it's just a little bit annoying. But yeah, like, I, I, it's probably a step in the correct direction. So I, I like alchemy... The idea of alchemy, I like alchemy in a vacuum. I'm a fan of the arena-only cards in Historic. The one was Perpetual stuff, etc., etc. The Seek, the even the Davriel was a proposition and stuff. That card was kind of cool. And I like the idea of alchemy and using arenas upsides in a vacuum. I'm worried about the bigger picture, competitive, spreading the, the player base too thin, the too many formats, the... The, um, the you know the the further the, the gap that's being created between online formats and paper formats, and I hope they have kind of a plan or a vision. I'm not sure they do. I'm not sure if it's really possible for them to exactly know how everything plays out. So we'll see. Um, I, I don't like think it's, it's that bad. Because like, what was the last one? The Ma Duel Duels of the Planeswalkers was the last one, right? And that one had like really weird deck building rules. Like you could only have like three rares in the deck or something. Like it was really weird, really weird rules. And that still brought in a lot of players at my FNM. And Are you then talking I about the video game on Xbox. Yeah, and on Steam. It was called like Magic Duels of the Planeswalkers, and it yeah. got a lot of people into the game. And the, I remember when I got it, there was like some really dumb rule, like you're only allowed four rares in a deck or something. I don't yeah. remember it, but like it was something that was not on paper. And um, uh, 
I think I think while it's like annoying that for some players that the cards are different, I don't think it's that hard to to wrap their heads around it. And the only thing I'm wondering is that you know they're only nerfing cards. Are they gonna buff cards? Like where where's the line drawn? And also did, like how many cards are they looking to change? Stuff like did, this. They did buff a few cards above that four mana artifact, and some people were making the point that they wish that instead of nerfing cards, they would just buff cards. And maybe you know, but they they did at least a few. I'm not sure not sure how many though. But yeah, that's that's in their plans too. Yeah, but I think it's better to buff and nerf. Like yeah. you can't just only buff because then you have an insane power creep like that. Like imagine in the in the last standard format, instead of nerfing all these super powerful cards, you buff the other stuff to be on the level on the level of like zero mana companions, adventures, and all this stuff. Like that just doesn't yeah. work. Yeah, you you <laughs> play you play a bit of Hearthstone, right, Kai? I no, I only play the the auto battler. I don't play Hearthstone constructed. Oh, okay. Because I was gonna say, I think they've been doing that for a while, and I wanted to know what what happened there. But okay. I mean, they so I mean, Hearthstone they have a different approach, right? Like they are way more aggressive when they make new cards, and if it doesn't work out after a week or two, they just nerf them because yeah. it's an online only game. Like Wizards just doesn't have that luxury. Like I'm sure the Wizards designers are often like, oh, I wish we could have done that. Yeah. But like. Like basically the Hearthstone guys, they just don't try that much, which is also for them, it's just so much easier because when they bring out new cards, people are super excited about the new cards and play with the new cards. Sure, they are overpowered, but like after a week or two, they just nerf them. Yeah. Like they, they, they never have this, like for, for the Wizards devs, the, the big risk is that they bring out an underpowered set and no one wants to play with the cards, right? Yeah. And by just knowing that you can make stuff overpowered and then nerf it, you kind of get a free out of jail card. Yeah. So for for the Hearthstone guys, it's just way easier, and I think that's in general their approach. Like they they are just always steering on the more powerful side, which yeah. Wizards. I mean, that's what Wizards has been doing the last two years. But for them, that has a pretty real price, and then we see a ten card ban list suddenly in standard, which is not fun, obviously. Yeah, I don't have a ton of perspective because I don't play any of these other card games, but I do feel like they have basically an impossible job of balancing cards. So think to, yeah, I, I basically think they have an impossible job and there's always going to be, you know, mistakes. It wasn't just, it was just never apparent in the past or not as apparent because everything went way slower, but. No, for sure. Get... Like their job was super hard. I mean, there's so many people looking at these cards when they when they get released, and just look how long did it take people to find the correct uh, gruel adventure deck in the old standard? Yeah, that took people months to find the correct build of that deck, and yeah. I mean that that's like hundreds of thousands of people playing every day for tons of hours. While wizards, they they just don't have these resources. But then, like while you do have to give them a break on that level. You also also have to call out like companions and some other stuff where you like you just read the cards and you're like no guys I mean just just no like yeah. that's just not not how it works <laughs> but yeah like no it's it's definitely super complex for them like like finding these lines between creating like a, a format with like tons of or like at least three or four playable decks and like they need to sell the new cards but they also can't be completely overpowered I mean, it, it's it's not easy no one has been saying that. And having a digital only game makes that way easier. Like, yeah. It removes a lot of headaches. 
So, so I guess would it make sense for paper to be just mostly the older formats and then online to be just alchemy, I guess, and because it's it's on it's it's unlikely that new cards like break older formats, but I think that kills businesses because this happened in um in some World of Warcraft card game because you need people you need businesses wanting to buy boxes to mm -hmm. sell singles or the the businesses will go out out of money and then and then because the eternal format players don't buy a lot of cards it's like the edh standard people that are buying the most cards right so okay. you need i think you need them to be your biggest customers so that all these like um uh single sellers are constantly buying boxes i think that's like how th they try to make the economy work and i think that's why it's such a really hard job because that's why they need every standard set to to sell it's because like the the biggest flow of cash around the game is everyone buying like 180 boxes a set or whatever yeah that's a problem for them like they need to sell the new cards and if they if paper is only for for older formats they just wouldn't uh, how, be selling cards how did it do so well during covid then surely people weren't buying a ton of paper cards thinking they were going to be playing standard with them um because huh i don't know well, so first of all, there were a bunch of sets with just incredibly expensive cards, right? Like all these companions, they were played in modern legacy and even vintage and stuff. And people wanted to open these. And then, I mean, you only see Wizards of the Coast overall numbers, but I assume a lot of that is secret layers, right? Because the profit margin on secret layers for them is just crazy. They print them themselves. They don't go through the local gaming stores. They, they sell them directly to the customers. So, I yeah. mean... I assume like they had a great year, but like I would like to see how much of that is secret layers. It's probably a reasonable amount. I mean, I, I used to like I played like what one or two tournaments per year, and for every tournament, I basically had to buy a standard deck for five hundred dollars or something. They're not getting my thousand dollars per year now. Yeah, I think I think an interesting stat from Card Market though is that the most sold cards during lockdown were historic cards. Actually, people were buying their historic decks on paper too yeah so i don't know yeah that's that's actually a really interesting question though why the game survived over lockdown i don't know i know i've spent i mean i guess i'm a streamer so it doesn't really count but i've spent more money on magic just because of arena than i have pretty much ever or in a long time anyways so really maybe, that, maybe, shouldn't, maybe shouldn't you be playing for free on arena with your playtime what do you mean well i mean like i know that andrew is in Easily, uh, I guess. Yeah, I, I never play limited. Yeah, okay, okay. Yeah. If you never play limited, obviously, then yeah. No, it costs me about, I think, $1,500 a year, which sounds like insane when you think about a, just an online game that, you know, you're not getting value out of anything. That's um, actually a funny number, yeah. But I, I can, I, I guess I can justify it. <laughs> um, That's too much money. That's too much money. Yeah. Magic is not a cheap hobby. Yeah, um, it's not. There's, but you can you can kind of make it as free to play, and I guess they did they, they do need to make money somehow. Um, it would be it would be good if they could have a better dusting system and not 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 have eight Thalia, eight Fable Passage, and oh it, no, so don't sick. get me started, don't dude, get me started, dude. I almost crafted Thalia the other day. I was like, huh. <laughs> I I I 
I built that deck or I copied the list and maybe they were playing the like different version of Thalia. I don't have, I was like, man, that's weird. I would have sworn I had Thalia. I was like, I guess I have to craft them. And I was like, wait. And I looked and I had four. So technically you can, if you're not paying so attention, you can end up crafting. Client, right? What? Like the game client should tell you that like you have this card. I don't think it did. I think it was showing I didn't have Thalia's. Anyways. Dude, just. Yeah. I don't know. It's so painful every time I think about this, how I have like uh, so many tem extra temples and I can't do anything yeah. about it. And yeah. I've spent like 500 quid on the game and I don't have one competitive deck in any format right now. <laughs> no, yeah, that that's that's bad that that you've spent. But you also like, you, you don't even do your daily quest, right? Yeah, but I mean, the thing is that doesn't matter because I've I spent mean, 500 quid on the game. I mean... <laughs> Yes and no. I, I, can you really like complain about not having a, a playable deck if you don't even you know spend the twenty minutes or thirty minutes a day playing your daily quest and stuff? Yeah, but I, I can't. I can't do the daily quest because I I don't have a fun deck to play because I I just have like okay I can load up a deck with a, a load of a boil grazers and crappy green cards go into a casual match cast them and then concede yeah I can do that every day but I mean it's just painful it's like that's not magic to me you know yeah. I and the whole point is you're paying to skip this process right and I I I I just dislike how the business model is you have to spend a load of money and then you have to go out of your way to make that money worth your while. It just, it, it doesn't really make sense to me. Yeah. Yeah, the, the Hearthstone system is a lot. I mean, obviously you're still losing money, but like if something rotates out, you can just dust all these cards and you're getting what, like, I think it's like 30% of the value back or something like that, maybe 25%. I yeah. mean, yeah. you are losing money, but at least you like your cards don't turn into garbage. Yeah, I think that would be, that'd be good for, Arena. I, I know I used to think that Arena was terrible and super expensive, just from kind of my experience and seeing what people say on Twitter. And then I spoke to three or four of my friends who play very casually. You know, these are either friends I started playing with in middle school, uh, who started playing a bit of Magic again on Arena, or people who I used to play with uh, when I started going to LGS and stuff who don't really play anymore, but still play on Arena. And they seem to think Arena was decent. You know, they were happy was what they could get for you know doing their daily quests and playing a few drafts, and so that was that was interesting to me because it gave me a, a different perspective. But I think at least well, some kind of dusting system and oh, you know, the, the whole like having eight copies of a card that feels really bad. I mean, to be fair, before we are praising Hearthstone too much here, like the dusting system is in place and it's good, but Hearthstone is also an incredibly greedy game. Like yeah. I used to play Hearthstone Constructed just for fun, but eventually they got to a point where every set you have to open cards worth like 150 or 200 bucks just to get playable decks. It's like the same thing. Like mm. you, you, instead of Mystics, you have Legendaries there, and you can yeah. play only one of these Legendaries, and then every deck is built around like one to three Legendaries, and if you don't have these, the decks, the decks just aren't playable. But like you only get a one random legendary for in every like 15 packs or something. So it's, so it's can, also, it's an ex incredibly expensive game as well. And that's why I stopped. Like, so can, can you not be free to play and be competitive even if you spend the time? 
you can be free to play. It's the same as arena. I mean, if you, especially if you if you play the arena, whatever it's called, the limited version of their game, like okay. for. But then, like, what what confuses me with Hearthstone is that their auto battler is incredibly cheap. Like, even if you pay, you pay like fifteen bucks every four months or something, and then it's incredibly easy to be free to play there. But then Hearthstone constructed is the same thing. Like, that's basically why I stopped because I couldn't justify to spend like. I don't know, 150 bucks every set for then playing like an hour a week or something. Yeah. Like I, I did like it, but it was just way too expensive for, for what I was uh, getting out of it. And then the battleground system is just the exact opposite. But yeah, like Hearthstone Constructed is also super expensive. So it's not like, it's not much better than Arena or something. The dusting system is better, but that's where yeah. it ends. There's also, I feel like maybe on Arena, there's not enough to look forward to. And if it wasn't for third-party tournaments, like what we have recently, Red Bull maybe. Um, I don't know. For some reason, these arena opens have not appealed to me, maybe because I have other tournaments going on, or they're not as exciting to me. Like the Something about them just don't, mm. don't appeal to me. Don't, maybe the, the fact that they're not part of the competitive circuit, you know, they don't give points for anything. Maybe that's that's what keeps me going but no yeah yeah do you play in any of the arena open sky no i don't know just no interest no time i mean it's always saturday sunday and this is like my two like i work in sports betting and like like for all these tournaments i'm always taking the weekend off yeah and like for these arena opens i just i mean it doesn't interest me enough to do that yeah if i had like a normal job i would probably be doing it but yeah, like it feels like the EV is not great and there's not a ton of prestige. I mean, you get to post, you know, your screenshot on Twitter and it just gets drowned and stuff. And, never, I don't know, it's just... and then, like just this fact that you have this one hour window to lock into day two just to like confirm that you're playing. Like just that annoys yeah. me so much that I just don't want to participate yeah. in that. It's yeah, just it so stupid. They got me a couple of uh, opens ago. I finally made day two. I almost never make day two, and I finally made day two, and I felt good about my deck. And then I I missed a window. It was it was really tilting. I was literally in the client testing. It was the the historic one where I was playing John Food, uh, the the list I got from Hogpog, and I thought it was really good. I I I did one shot day one. You know, only had to use one entry, and I was literally in the client testing my decks, trying to figure out the, the last couple sideboard slot and the mana base, and not a single pop-up, not a single alert, not a single nothing. I just missed the window and couldn't play. So that is super frustrating. You don't get an email reminding you of the time and that there's limited time uh, to sign up. And I know it's happened to other people, and it's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to happen literally every time. At least a few people are going to miss the window until they... They changed. I think they're they're okay. I think they will give you an entry to day two to the next open. I haven't done it, but I think they've done it for other people in the past where you're like, oh, I missed a window. Can I have some compensation or something? But like, but, um, how does this happen? Like, when they were discussing at Withers of the Coast how to set up these tournaments, like, I'm sure there were a bunch of people in the room and someone was like, let's make a one hour sign up window in the middle of the night for if you were living in Asia yeah. or something. Is it like, one or two hours? I think it's maybe two hours on day two. I just don't get how this stuff happens. Like, like there's so many red flags. I don't uh, Yeah, they, just... they, they need to, to not make it too long, especially on day two, so that people are kind of play their matches and are in the same pool and you don't get people who get screwed at the end, even though I think you're always going to get people who get screwed at the end. 
that doesn't, yeah, exactly. It always happens anyway, because people that don't have time, then they just set their al uh, alarm, sign yeah. in, and then do the other stuff which they have to do, and then come back later. Like, it just yeah. doesn't prevent that from happening. Yeah. Which is also another thing, like, obviously, that people at the end don't find opponents is a joke. I don't get it. Like, it's just so mind-blowing in these qualifiers. Like, I know once there was a guy that was like 5-1 or something. He queued up, was like 60 minutes or more to go, and he couldn't get an opponent. Yeah. Like, why don't they pay Yui, Reed, Cuny, or someone? Like, one of the MPL pros, pay them to queue up in the last two hours of this event. So if there's only one guy in the queue, they get to play against that person. Yeah, that's not a bad solution. Have people, I mean, I'm guessing it comes with few issues, but that could be an idea. I, or do something, but like surely you need to make sure that people can play their matches. Like that. that's a that's a good idea, actually. Who did you come up with that or? Yeah, I suggest, like I, I mentioned that a while ago at some point. I mean, yeah. no, they can't pay me because then it's too easy to qualify. Like you, do, <laughs> you do you do want someone that actually might win. Yeah, yeah, you need. Yeah, it's tough though because I guess it needs to be in the contract that obviously they have to play like kind of we had in our contract that you can't. You can't do you, do you really think anymore. one of these MPL pros is going to scoop or throw away one of these matches intentionally? When, which could mean that Wizards just like end the MPL contract? It's just not going to happen. Like, these no, people, I don't, I don't think it's going to happen, especially knowing some people. But there's still the problem of if you get queued, you know, you can get it's like ethical problem. You can't, it's still like, you know, it's still a problem. Even though we, you know, I know someone like Reed would never do that, even if it was literally his brother, or you wouldn't, Huey wouldn't, you know, I don't think I would, but it's still, you're asking people, you know, these people who are trying to qualify, they don't know us, they don't know that, you know, we're not going to throw and we're, you know, we have, but... Easy well, solution, you just have all the usernames hidden. Well, that's another thing, but yeah. Right? For, for yeah. Gab or whoever's playing as the final guy, have it so that opponents well, can't see what your username is and you can't see theirs. I guess if both you... usernames then, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Maybe, Which yeah. would also make it much easier for people to stream in general. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I, I, I get, I mean, there's surely some reasons why they want to always show usernames, but like, there must be a solution to get someone in a pond that like that, that has that queues up within the time window to find an opponent. I mean I, yeah. that's just mind blowing to me that that can happen. Or or let you let you register like before the window, you know, maybe not after, but you know, before you go to bed or you just want your slot just you know how is that I, I just don't get it. I don't get why you have to sign up though, because isn't it your fault if you can't find an opponent if you slept in or whatever? Well, yeah, you have to I, sign up because you can play a different deck, so you at least need to load up the uh, deck, you know. You don't have to play the same deck you played on day one. Yeah, but I mean, they could do that, right? Like, if, if that's the technical problem, then just lock in the same deck. You Although, I guess there's best of one and best of three, so that doesn't really work. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm not a big fan of it. But And yeah. the, the but, email reminder, you know, especially because it's not the same as on day one where you have all day to sign up. But, like, to be fair... In general, these PTQs and these arena weekends are good. Like, don't like. I don't want to sound too negative about that stuff. Like, the sign-up system is terrible. But like, what is really good about Magic Online are these these weekly championships or like these weekly. I guess they are called weeklies. These events are great. I mean, Kenneth, the they do. They always yeah. they always get streamed. The challengers, people, yeah. The challenge, people, yeah. 
yeah, people love to play them. It's great. And like these arena weekends are also great, but I mean, they could be improved. But it's definitely the best thing about arena. So. Yeah. And it's weird too, because when you think about it, these these modern challenges, they're like pretty bad EV too, but they, they just have that, that prestige about them, I guess. People know that the good players are playing in them and it makes them kind of appealing. And for the viewers, it makes it exciting. And... It's just playing in tournaments is cool. I mean, that's why people play Magic, right? Yeah. Or, I mean, obviously not, but like the people that are on Magic Online and play these events, that's why these people want to play tournaments. Like that's why they are there. Yeah. And that's what they want to be doing. I also wish Arena had more, like I, I wish Arena had just queues, like just these five match queues that Magic Online had. I think they are way more interesting to play in than, uh, than Arena Ladder, but like you will never get me to play Ladder games. It's just like... I don't play that much. Like, and maybe I would play like five or ten hours, which means I would never even get to the higher music ranks. So it's completely pointless for me to play ladder. If I would play ladder, I would barely get to music, and then the month is over and and it resets. Yeah. But if I could queue up for these leagues where you pay like five bucks and can maybe win like five fifty or something, I would be playing that. Yeah. But yeah. Like, what is the point of making us restart like five levels five levels lower just so that no they have idea. people playing and they think that'll make people play more because in some ways it almost feels like it might make people play less would you would you play more if you started at diamond instead of because how many when you're mythic one month you start at two ranks below diamond or one rank below diamond? not even sure i i have no idea but i know that would you so would you play more if you started at diamond instead of what you know whatever no probably not like i just want to play for something would like, you play and, more if you started at mythic right away if you made it to mythic just because you knew at least you get to play against better players or slightly better players or would you still not be interesting in ladder at all that would make it more interesting for sure yeah i would still prefer to just pay a small fee was like and play a tournament was a pretty flat payout but yeah. where i'm just playing for something yeah but like yeah like for some reason they love resetting letters which is, it's the same with this hearthstone auto battler like right now they, they reset this uh, the ratings they have there and i haven't even gotten back up to my old rating after months because i just don't play enough i don't understand why these companies do that but i mean it yeah, must be so there's games at the lower levels, right, for newer people coming in, maybe? Like, if you have everyone in Mythic, then no one else down below has anyone to play against. Yeah. I mean, yeah, maybe no, not everyone in Mythic, but at least if you finish in the top, like, 100 or 2, maybe you get to restart at Diamond. You know, I feel like it's a bit too much, or if you're, like, top 100 Mythic, you get to restart at Mythic. If you're like 100 through 500, maybe you start at Diamond. It feels like they can maybe model it a bit. Mm. I mean, I, there's definitely also people that like to to that like this grind and like to rank up, but I, it's just not for me, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I don't mind it, but I'd rather just not have to do it. Like, if, if I have to do a grind, I like to have a goal. And Mystic Rank, given that it resets every month, it's just not a goal for me. Like, uh, yeah, I will get there and then it's just gone again. Yeah. <laughs> it just, I yeah. don't know. Well, for a lot of people, the goal is to qualify for the qualifiers, but you're, as a Hall of Famer, you already get to be in day one. No, how does it work already for us? 
No, but well, you're he, you're in the NPL this year, so it's, you don't even have to. But yeah, last year I was also in the league, so it, I, I never had to play this. But yeah, like uh, we don't have to play. Like we are qualified for the qualifiers. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so. we don't get into day two, but no, yeah, we're we get in day one of the qualifiers. Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, we're we're talking about. Should we talk about modern a bit or? Uh, sure. Because we went on that insane arena, like on on Plan Arena. Interesting. <laughs> Unless no, you guys right. still had something to say. No, I think um, we we yeah, complained okay. enough about arena for now. Okay, <laughs> talk about what you've played. Maybe Harry start with that, and then talk talk about Grixis Shadow, and maybe that's yeah. it for modern this sure, week. Sure. Well, I guess before we get into modern, really, I want to know, Kai, when was the last time you actually played modern? Hogarth. Oh, yeah. You guys actually right. played Hogak, right? Dude, I was like, when, whenever there's like a somewhat new format, it, it, I actually had the deck that broke it, and then Canister would stream it in like the weekly challenge the week before, top four, or even win it, and hmm. just spoil the deck. Like that happened both with uh, the stupid inverter deck in Pioneer and with Hogak in Extended. Mm. Yeah, like, and I and I still didn't play Hogak. I played Eldrazi Tron because I thought I was kind of okay against Hogak. I did, I did, I did go seven, seven and three somehow in modern. That was extremely lucky, but yeah, not oh, playing Hogak was probably a mistake. I did cheat against someone badly at that tournament uh, playing Eldrazi Tron. <laughs> oh, that was that was not good. Um, he was playing this Eldrazi Tron, and he had this stupid six mana artifact in play that makes everything colorless, right? Oh, and you had used Force of Vigor. Yes. Oh, Micah Synth Lattice. And then after the match, <laughs> I explained to someone how I got this guy with Force of Vigor when he had that in play. And like the guy, like it was one of the German, I think David Brooker or something. And he just looked at me and was like, no, 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 that's not how that works. Yeah. Dude, so many people but did that. That's hilarious. Yeah, I knew it because of Magic Online. But I, if you if you have, yeah, if you've never encountered before, I mean, it's easy <laughs> mistake to make, easy oversight. <laughs> I mean, my opponent had, was playing that lock deck, and he didn't know about either. So all of fame, by the way. All of all best of fame, ever, yeah, by yeah. the way. <laughs> Wasn't the inverter deck that you played in Brussels like playing that three mana sorcery that fetches one from your sideboard or something? Yes, I had oh, one, one, a different version. One or two copies of that. That, that that was very interesting. Okay, well, anyways, we're here to talk about modern. I guess I did play a lot of blue eye control this week. Um, what is there to say about it? Um, I think something that people were surprised by is I think I copied a Waffo list and there was no Chalice the Void in the main. Thought it was pretty good. Um, four spreading seas did decent. Um, and I don't think I missed Chalice of the Void. I didn't really board it in that much too. I feel like Chalice on one is really good against the uh, Jun Saga deck and Hammer Time, and I didn't play against either of them, so. Oh, it's also good against Cascade too, but I guess that's why I didn't miss them. Yeah. Um, nothing too much else different with the list. I think the only thing I want to say is how much I respect Memory Deluge as a card now in the format. I definitely thought that card was not going to be good, and now it's turned out to be great. So that's kind of my interpretation. Oh, also Shark Typhoon. I think this card is constantly being cut and added to blue-white control. I had one in the main, three in the sideboard. That was really good. Helped me out a lot. Um, and, oh, I also had one Celestial Colonnade. I think that won me two matches. That was pretty good. 
and the Hall of the Storm Giants, I think that card is now officially like I wouldn't say a staple, but almost a must-have. I feel like it, it gets me a lot of kills. And something that um, I value a lot is that in games where your opponents are relying on Planeswalkers to win, you can you can kill them in one hit rather than having to do it in two with a colon eight, which I thought was uh, pretty relevant a lot. Um, so that's you, were kind playing, of you were playing three Manlands total, two colonnades and one hall? Uh, no, one colonnade, one hall, just to yeah. split. Yeah, that's been good for me. They've both been good. I feel like I always had the one I needed at the right time. I had colonnade to kill Eliana early in the game, and then later in the game I had the hall when hall would have been better. And yeah, and I think Waffle was back on one chalice today. I think you can go either way, one one chalice mm -hmm. in the main, one in the sideboard, just some in the sideboard. Mm. It just kind of evens out in the long run. Sometimes they're good, sometimes they're not as good. Uh, are the new check plans good enough for for modern, or is that no, uh, no? You have you have you play Mystic Gate specifically in blue white. You play a lot of Mystic Gates because you have mm. Archmage Charm and a double white cards. Mystic Gate is amazing. And you just play Fetchlands and Hallowed Fountain. And if you want, Glacial Fortress is also probably better in this format than Checklands. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That was kind of it for me for Modern. I think I prefer four-color controller over blue-white control still. Um, I really miss the life game from Omnath and just Omnath in general. I think that card is so explosive, as well as Ren and Six. Ren and Six minus one is probably the most beautiful play on a Ragavan that you can do right now. Yeah, like that's what I don't like about modern. I mean, I don't, I haven't really played it. I sometimes when Kenneth tweets an interesting deck, I watch him play it or something. Mm -hmm. But like in generally, I have a dislike for formats where mana doesn't matter. And modern seems to be in that state. Like if, mm. a, if a format has Blood Moon allowed and there's a control deck that plays Omnas and has a white one drop, that kind of suggests to me that the mana is just over the top right now. Yeah. You just you can just basically put whatever cards you want into your deck, and I, I think that's not usually not great. But yeah, like when when these legacy deck legacy blue white decks started to splash the Ren and Six card, I'm mean, just like no, I mean this is just not for me. I mean you can't have counter spell in that card in your deck and consistently cast either on turn two. Like yeah, just something went wrong. I think, but yeah, yes and no. If if you're playing blue white and you know, if you, if you play Esper, for example, over Blue Eye just to have access to a few more cards, I think you're going to get punished for it. You're going to lose to Blood Moon more. You're going to lose to maybe Field of Rune more. You're going to lose to Blood Moon more. So you've got some some checks, but Omnath, I guess, doesn't care too much about the Burn matchup. And they're okay-ish against Blood Moon. They're still kind of bad against Blood Moon. So there there's some some checks, I guess. For like crazy mana bases, and if you want, if if you want to go out of your way, I mean, there's always a deck building cause. That's what's really cool about Magic in general. There's there's always always a cost to anything you you do with your mana base. So I don't know if it's that bad. I mean, at least Kenneth's version didn't seem to be affected by Blood Moon that much with that uh, green land enchantment that uh, overrides Blood Moon. Yeah. Also, th that didn't work on Magic Online for a while. Did that get fixed or? Mm, I think they fixed it, yeah. Right. <laughs> Even Kai knows that. He spent too much time on Twitter. Well, I mean, <laughs> Kenneth just kept complaining about it every other week, so eventually mm. I saw it. Yeah, people, when people said, uh, 
you know, they were bringing alchemy to arena and stuff. People were memeing that we already had alchemy on magic online because <laughs> cards don't work the way they should. And they already nerfed or buffed version of the cards. So, yeah, I, I played a tiny bit of modern since the championship too. I finally played the deck. I've been wanting to play for a couple of weeks. The Grixis Shadow deck, ever since uh, it first came out, I think it was at maybe the SCG Open, first I saw of it. It was Corey, I think, Corey B playing it and doing well with it. And it looked cool. And then I played a few times on Magic Online and I got crushed. I thought, yeah, that deck looks good. I'm not sure if it's great. Maybe it's just like bad matchup for me, but that deck's not going to have some flaws and stuff. And then I played against it a couple more times, lost badly. Still was thinking, you know, maybe it's just good against blue-white, good against four-color Omnav. And then uh, Soul Strong started top-fouring or top-eighting every challenge a few weeks ago. And this weekend, he literally won both Modern Challenge with Grixis Shadow. <laughs> and, you know, in the meantime, people were like, eh, Shadow in Grixis is not very good. It makes the deck worse. It doesn't make sense. Blah, blah, blah. Just insane amount of copium on Twitter. But... How, how Shadow makes Grixis worse and you should play some control version. I don't even know. Um, you know, Soul Strong put them put them in their place. Or maybe he's just the luckiest slash best player ever. Who knows? But that was insane. I don't know if anyone's ever won two of the same challenges in the same weekend. Honestly, it maybe happened like maybe a modern and a pioneer challenge. Uh, but Two, two, two of the same challenges the same weekend was the same deck. Mm -hmm. Who knows? Maybe someone in, in chat can tell me. But I was sick. So I tried the deck. Very first league, actually. Quick O2 drop. I got paired twice against Dredge. I should have actually won the first match, but I missed literally lethal on board. Uh, I think it was kind of a fluke, though, that I was even in a position to win the match. And then second second time around, uh, I got crushed. They actually have Leyland of Sanctity now, which is really good against you. It stops your discard spell, so harder to snag their Cathartic Reunion. And the card stops Niall's Spellbomb. So I reloaded a, a league, except I, I went from one Spellbomb, one Lantern in my sideboard to four Lanterns, because Lantern doesn't target it's each opponent's graveyard. And I was like, I, I don't want to lose to Dredge. I didn't get paired against Dredge, but I did get I did go four one four and one. I started another league, started off two. The deck just feels strong, you know. No huge surprises. You know, sometimes you get stuck with Shadow in, in hand earlier, but early in the game. But then late, you know, it makes up for how how good it is later in the game. And you know, it's Ragavan Chandler. I mean, you've got all the good cards and. I think that the black cards do carry their weight. Croxa has been amazing for me. If anything, maybe Croxa is even more important than than Death Shadow. And a uh, few few extra sideboard options. You know, it'd be nice. Call against Command, fail a push, terminate to get rid of a Murktide. Something a straight blue red deck can't do super easily. So decks felt good. If uh, you know, there's Modern Showcase and Pioneer Showcase this weekend. I'm probably gonna play Grixis Shadow. And I'm not exactly sure how you hate on the deck. Maybe maybe Dredge is, is a good good one. Um, I'm not too sure, but uh, did, did you play that deck at all, Harry, or not yet? Uh, no, I haven't at all. Yeah. I don't I don't even think I've played against it. Typically, yeah. these kind of decks are bad against super aggressive burn decks, but they probably just don't exist in the format, I would guess. 
yeah, no, burn burn is a deck. I got paired once or twice against it. I, I did beat it. The the old Death Shadow, you heavily relied on your stubborn denials to kind of run the shadow out and have the one or two key counters. It's also pretty skill intensive from the burn side. A lot of people say that if the burn player knows what they're doing, it's it's burn favored. If they just play the, the match like a normal match, then it's a little easier. But you you do have you don't have stubborn denial, but you do have four drawn in the lock, so you do have that that option to to counter stuff. Maybe maybe even Lurus can can get you some life points. It, it was it was really close though. I, I'm not sure that's a great matchup. But um yeah. No, I was I was I was impressed. I, I did okay against big mana decks and uh, yeah, no, I think it's just pretty well rounded deck. You know, it's got that John feel to it, the discard spells, interaction, the cheap it's it's not these kind of decks are not super easy to hate on. Maybe maybe a card like Rest in Peace is, is a little rough. Mm. But, uh, yeah, no, I was impressed. So just wanna give my two uh Is Ragavan actually oppressive for modern? It's probably not, right? It's mm. it's oppressive in a way that you need to not die to turn one Ragavan. Yeah, so effects there, deck building for sure. Yeah, there's a lot of removal. There's Arboral Grazer in the Titan deck, for instance. That's a house because it stops Ragavan. I kind of hate it. I think it's just a frustrating card to lose to. It's super high variance. It's gonna die almost every time, but when it doesn't die, it just solo wins the game. And it's a bad feeling to just lose to your own cards. It's a bad feeling to just slowly see the game slip away from literally turn two, and you can you can already feel the game slipping away. So I don't I don't like the design, but I wouldn't say it's, it's I wouldn't say it's too strong. You could say it's maybe a little oppressive from a deck building standpoint. Yeah, I think that I think there's good enough removal in the format to make it like not, you know super busted but it's definitely like a borderline card you know i wouldn't be surprised seeing it seeing it go or you know but i i don't like no one's really building around it it's just you you play it if it's it's in your colors yeah you do you know you do sideboard it out a lot on the draw or in specific matchups so it's not like a godlike card but mm -hmm. it can be a little frustrating okay all right I think that's so, it from modern age. Yeah. So I don't know if other people's asked question. I haven't been paying attention, but I had one question earlier for you, Kai. It was Snapcaster Sage in Twitch chat that asked, do you have a favorite deck ever that you've played or and and or a favorite deck just that maybe you haven't played, but I just think uh, was awesome or Yeah, Illusions Donate with or without Necropotence. Yeah. Always, always been my favorite deck, I mean. You, so you won Pro Tour New Orleans, was it? Did you get to play it in more than one tournament? Um, I'm pretty sure. But there was definitely like a bunch of GPs with Necro Donate, but I don't yeah. think that, that was ever uh, a Pro Tour format. Yeah, no. Uh, I, th I think it was ma uh, mainly that Pro Tour. Yeah, was but, there maybe a master where Necro Donate was? No? Yes, there was a master when uh, that was also just, that was frustrating. So what they did back then was they tried to keep Necropotence playable and yeah. they just banned everything else because they oh. just didn't they just didn't get it. And before this masters format, they banned Dark Ritual. Yeah. And then they thought 
that the deck would be unplayable. Yeah. But in reality, the deck was arguably even better against other decks by just replacing Dark Ritual with Mox Diamond. Because if you don't play the mirror match, you don't need turn one necro, and you would rather have the the additional permanent, the additional lands in play. Wait, like, which which masters was that? Because I remember master. I actually was, one of the few masters that I played was, was it. That was the one that Yui won with Survival of the Fittest. Okay, and, and what like, did you play in that masters? Illusions donate necropotence. Yeah, and like I would assume Dirk and me were probably a seventy-five percent favorite in every matchup. And yeah. probably like 90% against Yui or something like that. I don't know. But like, and who do you lose to? Did you just both lose to Zilla or something? No, yes, I lost to Jason Zilla, who had high DCI rating and not played Magic in two years or whatever. That's one of the and best stories ever, honestly. The only reason I lost that match was because he was playing Disenchant and not Seal of Cleansing. While Seal of Cleansing was clearly the superior card back then, because it just sits in play and can't be dressed, and then you can't combo. But yeah. I, I consult killed myself, like I consulted for something and just missed and like removed my library. But I still had like two negators in play, and my hand was Pyroblast, Pyroblast, and Null. And then he just drew Disenchant to uh, Disenchant my Necropotence and went. Yeah, to deck yourself like, and if they were you had the null for yeah, it. Like literally everyone else in the tournament was playing Seal of Cleansing and they just annulled it and won yeah. the game. So yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, I think Dirk lost to maybe Trey van Cleef with Counter Slivers in the semifinals or something like that. Yeah. I don't know. Like definitely like a, a positive matchup, but like something On that the you tougher could side, to. yeah. 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 For those of you who don't know before, like pro levels and stuff, the way they used to reward the, the best players in the game was the masters. It was these really high stakes tournament small field maybe 16 players um was $25,000 for first so it was almost as much first place as the pro tour said pro tour had fewer 400 players and these masters had 16 players or 32 i don't remember exactly 32 yeah 32 and uh they would have one per pt i think and they went on for like two or three years maybe more and um yeah so and for that one jason zilla was qualified on ratings and he he hadn't played magic in literally years and he showed up was kind of a super old school four color control deck and he just uh he 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 lost to huey in the finals eventually but he made it all the way to the finals yeah and you guys got to play nice to uh right you got to play mono blue illusion donates again or mono blue splash red and I remember, I think, I think I lost to Dirk, either Dirk or you. And I was playing Monogreen Land Destruction, which was, I think, okay for the tournament. I'd build a deck. I made it past a few rounds and Olivieri made it past a few rounds as well. And I still remember I lost because Dirk, if it was Dirk or you, if it was, I think it was Dirk, drew... I think he needed his first six or seven lands to be basics for me to lose the game. Because I had a bunch of land destruction and I had a bunch of wastelands and dust bowl. And I was one turn short of killing him. And I think you guys had like, I don't know, 10 basics and thawning glaciers and a bunch of duels and whatnot. And literally, he needed his first seven lands to be basics for him to win again. Because if any of these lands are not, I get to start using my wastelands and dust bowl, and I went. I was so upset. I was so so disappointed. So um, looking at our 
history on MTG Elo, that was me in round two. Uh, it was you. <laughs> it was me. Yeah. I, I yeah, think I, I mean, remember that. You too. had my number for basically ever until <laughs> the first time I beat. So Kai beat me in the finals on my on the GP, and he beat me in the finals at PT New York a week later, and he beat me in the Masters and beat me. Who knows? And it, finally, the first time I beat you. Do you do you remember when's the first time I beat you in a tournament? No, I mean, I, I see it right now, but I don't remember it. It was Pro Tour Houston and Extended. And the only reason I beat Kai was because Kai was playing Reanimator. And my deck was literally Fish was like a bunch of cheap creatures, a bunch of counter spells, and literally Seal of Removal and Unsummon in my main deck. It was the Reanimator deck. <laughs> and, and that was before Grissobran was a thing. So there was no... I don't think you really had a great creature that did something when it came into play. And that's literally what it took for me to beat Kai. And it was still like, I think I even maybe had Coffin Purge in my set. No, you had... I there, might was have a, had some... there was like Multani, which is like a green six or yeah. eight mana creature. And it has like power and toughness equal to both players' cards in hand or something. And yeah. that, that that was like un, untargetable or something. But yeah, that was the only thing you could do against Bounce, really. So it yeah, that's pretty yeah, bad. That's literally but, what it took for me to beat Kai in a in a high in a pro tournament. Somehow this MTG Elo website doesn't have that much. It says World Championship 2003. It's the first time you beat me. Really? But I do remember something like that too, actually. But like I, yeah. I definitely played that horrible deck at that at that pro tour. Like that was one that of the kind of good. No, that list uh, looks. We no. did super bad. I don't know. Yeah. I remember getting crushed by the Justin, who Justin Gary, he eventually won the PT. But that's oh, my... that one? No, no, no. Okay, that that Pro Tour our deck was awesome. That okay, really... that's the Pro Tour I beat you. Oh, sure. Okay, no, no. That for that, I mean, that reanimated deck. That was. Oh, like, you're... Yeah. That when was like the... Entomb, Brainstorm, Demonic Consultation. That was like like a really enforceable. That was a super powerful deck. Wait, wait, wait. No. Yes. No, yes. Yes. Think... Oh, yes. He did have demonic consultation. That that was not legal in in Houston when Justin Gary won. Anyways, that was well. Uh, we got sidetracked. So yeah. So what illusions donate? Is it just because it's like your favorite style of deck? You can kind of play a control game, but you also have that powerful combo. Is that what you really liked about it, or just yeah. that you won a lot with it? Or no, no, no. Exactly. It's just like I mean, it's just super unfair. It kind of mana ramps with the medallions or with yeah. stack ritual. Draws a tons of cards, Force of Will, Duress. It's super resilient. I mean, it's like, I mean, it's kind of the perfect deck, I think. Yeah. It just, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. not really much that it doesn't do well. Yeah. I was only two years old when you were playing that deck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that, that, that proto actually, that, that tilted me because every like the coverage was like, Team your move games, they are so good. They finished first, second, third. They knew the format so well, they played three different decks. Yeah. Hello? If you know a format well, you don't play three different decks. <laughs> like, that, that's not how magic works. <laughs> if, if you figured something out, you play one deck. You don't just all bring your pet deck and randomly do well with it. Like Yeah. Oh, the, the false narrative of tournament coverage. It's just, I mean, it's literally every game, every sport is the same. I mean... <laughs> But, yeah. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta come up with the narratives. Like, I, mean, I, I was actually tilting this weekend because on coverage they kept, they kept saying how oh the Japanese this they broke it black green blah 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 and Kai was like 
raging away in Discord. Like we had the bet. No, he wasn't really raging away, but yeah. he was like, "Oh, by the <laughs> way, we had we had a better win rate with our historic Ragdos deck than that black green deck." And he was like, "I think at some point they mentioned it." He's like, "Oh, at least they mentioned it that you know." But, yeah. I wasn't really tilting. I mean, no, I know. Japanese I'm, had great decks, but like, yeah, I mean. They had two players on 11-4 with their food deck, and we had two players on 11-4 with our Arcanist deck, and the two guys with food made top eight on tiebreaker. Yeah, and they yeah. were like, oh, they broke it, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I mean, yeah, that could have gone the other way around, but sure. No, but I mean, surely they had great decks, and I mean, there's nothing. I mean, they, they finished first, third, fourth or something, so I mean, clearly great job and great decks, but like... Yeah. Could have could have gone our way too if uh, Shahar and Logan got a little bit more lucky on uh, with the tiebreakers. Or if I punt to the last few rounds. Well, well, that would also help, but yeah. Okay. Should, well, should we wrap up? Yeah. Should we do a little prices right? Yes. We've I got think... a dupe too. We've got an easy easy money with Sky. <laughs> Yeah, so Kai, I don't know if you listen to the podcast, but at the end of every episode to uh, thank Car Market Premium, our sponsor, we do the prices right, and we pick a card and uh, all guess and see who can be the closest um, to the price of a card of our choice on their site. So why don't we do one of your, like, what, I don't know what the deck, you your favorite deck was, but is there a card in it that only has one printing that we could guess the price? Force of Will. could do Alliance well, Force of Will. Force of Will had a reprint, right? Yeah, but... But yeah, I mean, could do. It, it, does Necropotence have many reprints? No, it has a few. It has like Wide Border Six Edition or something. But yeah, they did. They did put it in a base set, which was also entirely unexplainable. <laughs> Why anyone would do that? But okay. Um, but what, what would you guys like to do? I think we should do Force of Will. Okay. But it's really expensive. Necro is going to be probably pretty cheap and stuff. Okay. But nothing is ever cheap. When it comes to magic cards, I've, I've learned or that. Or we could do an Ice Age Necro. Up to you. I feel like that. Okay. Yeah, sure. I don't mind. Why? We could do both of you. Oh, now let's just do. Let's do Necropotence for flavor. Ice Age Necropotence then. All right. Ooh, I own a few. I hope it's like. I have literally no idea <laughs> what an Ice Age Necro would be. Because you can't even play it in any formats. All right. You, so can you play no. it in Commander? I mean, I guess, but it's hard to build around. You, but you play, Commander makes stuff crazy expensive. You play yep. one in Vintage sometimes, right? I'm pretty sure I've had Necropotence in, in Vintage. Oh, yeah, in, in Doomsday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. in Commander, it doesn't make sense because you have to build your deck around it and you only have one copy. And if you don't draw it, you're probably playing a bunch of bad cards. All okay, right, well, so... I've got a price. All right, I see. I'm ready. Necro. I I got a price too. Okay, three, two, one, six 20, euros. Twenty euros. Three hundred euros. Oh sh! What is this? I mean, like I don't a, know. Like all that's your old, guess, guy. That's my guess. Like all it's these like old what cards. people sell it for on card market. I mean, you, you think an Ice Age Necro is worth three hundred euros? <laughs> I mean, whenever I look up an old card that's playable. I'm always just blown away by how much pe money people are playing for it, but I mean, I, like, I literally have no idea. <laughs> According to Kai, I'm currently <laughs> holding a cool thousand bucks in my hands. <laughs> One time dealer. Okay, time the price Kai. is average price 10 of the 30 days is 30 euros. Boom. <laughs> Actually, was like, yeah. 
I'm afraid you're not rich, Kev. 20 and 25. Like, for example, someone told me that, so back in the days, they took four decks from each world championship and made a special print of these decks. It was like signed cards and like a special non-magic back and like golden borders. Mm -hmm. And you could just go into a store and buy these decks for like nine euros maybe or something. Yeah. And they, they were not playable in tournaments, of course. Like they had a different back and everything. And like, I think Wizards mailed me two of these like boxes of decks because yeah. my world stack was in there. And I learned that these things are worth 400 euros now. Wow. Because there's like Rishadan Port, Grim Monolith, Gia's Cradle in there. Uh, and they are, they are like playable in Commander or something, even though they have a different back. Uh, like, like whenever I hear something about these old cards, they just, yeah, they're just insane. worth infinite. Mm. Uh, I have a few, but not a, not not a bad. I have a few of like the years, the years I made top eight, I think. But that's not, yeah. Kai's literally like he's like these politicians when you ask them about like the price of a loaf of bread or like, a gallon of milk, and they're like, I don't know, a loaf of bread, twenty euros, a gallon of, a gallon of milk, six well, I mean... euros. They're literally like ten x the price because they have no idea. They're just so rich living in their ivory tower. <laughs> <laughs> I only sell cards. Like I, I only, I only buy cards for tournaments, and then typically I, I buy like a standard deck for five hundred bucks, and then on the Saturday of that event, the deck is worth one hundred fifty bucks or something. Yeah, because no, most no. of these tournaments are just before rotation or something. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. God bless for Dick and Hughie and for lending me cards all these years where I was barely playing Magic, and I didn't have to spend too much money. Damn. Okay, well, we've got a life on the line tournament to do as well. So, um, I guess Kai, you, you don't listen, or do you know what life on the line is? Do you listen to the podcast? No, I have no idea. Okay, it basically it's a a life on the line tournament tomorrow. If you were going to one and your life was on the line, what deck would you bring? Um, for historic and I guess modern as well. Oh God, your life is on the line. Well, for for modern, I would probably just play Grixis Shadow. I mean, that sounds like. A good deck and i wouldn't want to play control decks that i've never played before mm -hmm. and for historic it just junk food i think mm -hmm. yeah like i assume that's a good like i assume now like I, the green black food deck is probably unplayable when people are preparing more for food mirrors because if you as a green black guy and your opponent is a junk guy and has devils in his deck you're not winning the sacrifice matchup yeah, maybe so it was I, even yeah, maybe it was for me to massacre. So, but yeah, uh, like the problem is like just the turn the devil enters play, it usually just wipes your opponent's board. Yeah, like, the, yeah. The the deck that was good against that was in my testing was John Citadel because the black green deck didn't kill fast enough, and then you you just got to play Citadel almost every game and win. But when you looked at the really small sample of the championship, there's actually a few matchups that were. Weird. For instance, we did well against white green humans, which I think was tough, but we actually did kind of poorly against Heliod Company, which should be a bit easier because they're easier to pick apart and a lot of the creatures don't do much on their own. That and was only that was very few matches. I don't understand. Yeah, it was like, four matches, I think, sample size, and it went one free. And then it was another really small sample. It was that green black deck against John Citadel, and I think it was free o in the favor of green black food, which really surprised me. Um, so it, it was good to have some data, but no, these sample sizes are so small. 
But with the Heliot thing, that really surprised me because I played it twice and I beat it twice. And if, so, like, I, I don't even know how we get oh, out to the 20. it's not even accurate then. No, no, no. It, it, it is like, I think it was like eight or 10 matches, but like everyone else must have lost against that. Oh, deck. Maybe, maybe it was an eight match. Because I remember it being 25%. Maybe it was two and six and not one and three or something. Yeah. All right. So, Life on the Line, Modern, Grixis Shadow, and. Standard, I would just play. Is it Epiphany? Historic? So tough. I might run it back with this red black deck, honestly, and hope that, you know, the black green food matchup's not as bad and that's not the only deck I play against. Yeah. I think for me in Historic, I'd play the Is It Phoenix deck because I've played a lot of that in Modern in the past, as well as a bit in Pioneer. feel like I could probably win that. And then Modern, I will go for four color control. What a surprise. I think I've said four color control for like the past six episodes or something. I'm waiting for it to change. <laughs> oh, no, I think I've said hammer time a few times. But I mean, yeah. modern doesn't change that much, right? So that's not super surprising. True. No, it's like diverse and not diverse at the same time. It's diverse because every topic you look at has six or seven different decks. And over the weekend, it's like a bunch of, diff you know, many different decks that may top it. But then it's kind of still the same pool of 12 decks, but they're pretty pretty well represented i guess mm -hmm, mm -hmm. okay well i guess to finish off the episode kai do you have any social media that you'd like to shout out not really i mean i have yeah. the usual twitter stuff but oh, yeah. okay i don't really um, tweet much honestly he likes to meme though kai is you wouldn't know you wouldn't I, necessarily think at first glance that he's a huge he's probably the guy who memes the most in our discord channel i respond a lot to tweets and, but and he loves the people people emotes too <laughs> okay sweet well i guess um you know thank you for coming on to the podcast we, we really appreciated yeah. your time yeah i think people loved it too no it's worries great. it was fun yeah um and i guess gab where can we find you yeah twitter at gab Nassif, twitch twitch.tv slash yellow hat and youtube as well uh, yellow hat i upload the podcast on youtube if you want to have the the image, the, the, the webcams and stuff, if you want to watch it there. Uh, if not, you can obviously find the podcast on all the usual apps. Cool. And you can find me anywhere at HarryMTG. I uploaded a YouTube video today. Bogu. And uh, <laughs> I guess for those who listened this far into the episode, hope you guys all enjoyed. And uh, thanks again, Kai. And I guess we'll catch you guys next week. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. Take care, everyone. Bye.